Good morning. My name is Way Rutherford, and I'm the RUF campus minister at Baylor. And while I'm getting settled here, let me say, as I like to do when I get the chance, uh, to say thank you for how you as a church and how you, so many of you individually and as family units support RUF. Uh, we wouldn't be on campus, humanly speaking, we wouldn't be here without your support. So thank you so much. Um, if you will turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7, we're going to be looking at Matthew 7, 28 through 8, 17. And so let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. This is right after the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, these are the next words after Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 28. Let's give our attention to God's word. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west, and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. Let me pray for us before we consider it further. Heavenly Father, these are your words. You are the author of what we've just read, and so we need, we need you to be their teacher. Would you be here, Holy Spirit, would you be here and work in us, in spite of us, so that we might be able to hear, and we might be able to see and believe. We need you to do that, and so we ask that expectantly and hopefully in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This was probably four years ago now, but 
just one random morning as we were all waking up at our house, uh, our oldest, Miles, woke up. And, uh, I've got kid. by the way, I've got kids' illustrations all throughout the sermon, so just bear with me. They're not here today, so I'm just going to load up on them. <laughs> so our oldest wakes up, and he just doesn't seem to be himself. He's sort of moping around the house, not with his usual energy, and I keep asking him, you know, buddy, are you okay? And he says yes. Keep asking him. And when he, he just doesn't ever, he just doesn't get going. And so I, I ask him, I said, are you feeling sick? Is something wrong? Are you sick? And this was what he said. He said, no, I'm not sick. I'm just feeling a little blue. I was feeling a little blue. And so Amy takes his temperature, and he's got a, a decent little fever. And it, he eventually begins to feel worse. And eventually he just wants somebody to hold him and make it go away because he felt really bad. And I found it so fascinating what he said. Because, look, for whatever reason, that was really the first time that he had ever really been sick. It was the first time that he had ever felt sickness, and he expressed it. Well, he really didn't know how to express it. And so he expressed it as feeling sad, which is really interesting if you think about it. It was this weird mixture of physical and, and spiritual, the physical and the non-physical. And so he said he was feeling sad. And he didn't know what he wanted. He didn't know what to do, but he knew he wanted somebody to come and, and just make it better, make it go away. Well, a few years ago at RUF and at the University of Louisville, where I was previously, we studied through Matthew. And our theme for the series was really one of Matthew's main themes, which is that of fulfillment. Really, Matthew is about the business of showing that, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that God had promised. And we looked at it really through the lens of hero, that Jesus is the one that God had promised. He is the ultimate hero that has showed up. And so this morning, our passage in verse 17, it shows us that Jesus came to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied uh, back in Isaiah 53, that he took, our, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. In other words, that Jesus is the healing hero, that he's the one that's going to show up and fix us Make us right. And interestingly enough, if you go back to Isaiah 53, you really see that the focus is more on the spiritual rather than the physical. The very next verse says this, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. And so look, just like Miles was expressing back then, we all know implicitly that, that the physical and the spiritual are, are tied together. They're, they're entangled with one another. And no doubt we're all, in some form or fashion, looking for healing. Now, it may not be for a, a physical something. You, you may never have suffered from something that a doctor just can't fix. Maybe you have. But what about the rest of you? What about the, the non-physical? What about 
to borrow Miles' term, what about the blue? What about your heart? What about the inside? Can anybody fix that? And what I want us to see this morning is that the answer is yes. That Jesus is the ultimate healing hero. And I want to look at that in three ways. I want you to see Jesus' first, his authority to heal. Secondly, we'll take a look at who Jesus heals. And then thirdly and finally, we'll take a minute to look at how he heals. So first, let's look at the fact that Jesus has authority to heal. Like I said, Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount. And if you recall, which is why I read verse 28, that after this great sermon, right, one that even folks in just that aren't Christians could probably recognize little pieces of, that after that, that the original hearers of the Sermon on the Mount, that what they were so impressed by was the fact that he taught with such authority. That's what, more than anything else, that's what blew the original hearers away. They almost, it's almost like they thought he teaches almost like he wrote these laws. And the answer, obviously, is because he did. He taught with authority because he had it. Right? He's showing that he is the king of the universe. And, and as such, he has ultimate authority over everything. There's nothing outside the scope of his authority. And that's really highlighted here in this scene that we have with the centurion, right? Starts in verse 5. Centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of 100 men. They were under, under his authority. And so he comes to Jesus because his servant was sick. And I think it's helpful to say that, that from what we can understand, centurions probably didn't have families. So the, this servant was probably like family to him, maybe like a son to him. So he's not coming to Jesus because you know, his, the help at his house is sick and it's inconvenient. But this is somebody that matters very much to this centurion. And so he asked Jesus to heal him. And so Jesus says, well, sure, I'll come to your house. And then the centurion says something that the text says amazes Jesus. He says, no, no, you don't have to do that. Because I recognize how authority works. I'm in the military, after all, right? I live and breathe authority. And he basically says, I recognize that you have such authority that if you just say it, it will happen. You don't have to come to my house. And Jesus looks at this guy and he says, this guy gets it. And he heals a servant. This guy understood that Jesus really is the king and that everything, everything imaginable is under his authority. The centurion knew that Jesus was the only one that could take care of what he needed. And so he went to him. Another kid illustration. So if, uh, for those of you that know us, uh, you know we've got three kids. Our middle child, Davis, was born deaf. And so very early on in that process, as we were trying to figure out what, what the deal is, what can be done about it, uh, we make our first visit to Davis's neural otolaryngologist. You learn words like that. And so we're sitting there. I've got... Y'all don't know me that well yet, but 
cry all the time. I'll get choked up in this illustration. It's fine. We're going to plow right through it. <laughs> so I've got Davis on my lap. We're sitting in the, uh, in the doctor's office waiting to go in. Obviously, Amy and I are nervous about this. You know, what, what's he going to say? What, is, this, is this the right guy? We, we've heard that he's great. And uh, there's a lady in the waiting room sitting across from us, and she strikes up a conversation the way any parent would want to by saying, like, oh, he's, he's so cute, right? Like, well, we agree. And so we start talking. She says, who are you here to see? And we say, we're here to see Dr. Gadry. And she lights up, and she says, that's, that's my doctor. Let me tell you, he's unbelievable. And she goes on to tell us about how she had some sort of very unusual inner ear problem that no one could fix. She had been to scores of doctors. She had had, it, I think, the better part of a decade, where she basically could not open her eyes without throwing up. This lady could not function. She could barely get out of bed. She said, I went to doctor after doctor after doctor, and then finally I came to this guy. And he fixed me. She said, I just got off an airplane visiting my daughter. Right? People with inner ear problems don't get on airplanes, especially ones that can't even hardly open their eyes. So you can imagine that as I'm sitting there with Davis, thinking, I want the best care for him. We need to go to the right person. You can imagine that as I'm sitting there listening to this woman, I think to myself, this is exactly where we need to be. We need to see this guy and only this guy because he can do something about this. Right, he's one of the foremost authorities in his field. And he can, he can make it better. Right, I think you get the idea, right? On, on a much grander scale, that if you need fixing, if the inside of you needs fixing, whether spiritually, emotionally, relationally, whatever, then you need the one that can actually do something about it. And that one is Jesus. He is, the, he is the ultimate authority. And he uses his authority to heal people. So what does that mean? A couple of, a couple of things. First, if you're wondering if anyone can fix you, can anyone really fix the way that I just, the hatred that I have in my heart, maybe for my parents? or for my spouse? Can anyone really fix the disgust that I have for my own body? Can anyone really fix the guilt that I feel about what I've done? Can anybody really fix the way that I am terrified of what other people think about me? And ultimately, can anybody fix my cold heart towards God. And I want you to see that this text is saying yes. That that absolutely can be fixed. And the second application that I want you to see is is that who can fix it? It's Jesus, right? And so that's who we need to go to. 
In other words, what we don't need is another, uh, we don't need necessarily, first and foremost, to read another book that will finally help us get it together. We don't need another program of, of obedience or Bible reading or something like that. Those are all good things. But fundamentally, first and foremost, what you need more than anything is to go to the one who has the authority to fix you. And that's Jesus. And that's good news. It means Jesus is what your friends need, what your relatives and coworkers need. Jesus has the authority to heal. But secondly, I want to take a few minutes and look at who he heals. Who Jesus heals in this passage. Because maybe you're tracking with this, with this sermon and you're thinking, all right, that's, that does sound good. But how do I know that's for me? Would he do that for me? Well, take a look. We see Jesus heals three people. We sort of have three scenes, right? He heals a leper, and then he heals a Gentile, the centurion, uh, somebody that was not a Jew, and then he heals a Jewish woman. All right, so why, why is that so interesting? Look, here comes the exegetical point of the year, okay? I didn't come up with the, and for me, not, that's not to say anything about, this is the best thing you'll hear all year. I don't know what Jeff's talking about. It's the best thing you'll hear from me all year. Why does Matthew, why does Jesus heal them in this order? At least why does Matthew uh, tell us about this way? I think it's very purposeful, and I think this is fascinating. Because look, the temple where the Jews would worship, where the Jews worshiped, had a particular construction to it. And here it was, here it is. Right, the innermost point of the temple, the very middle is the Holy of Holies, where God, where God would meet with a high priest once a year. Once a year, only the high priest went in there. Right, so we can say in the middle of the whole thing, you have God and his presence. And then just outside of that, the first sort of court that you come to is the court where Jewish men would, would go and worship and nobody else. They're sort of the first ring out. And then just outside of that court was uh, the court of women where Jewish women could go and they could worship at the temple, but they couldn't go in any further. And then outside of that, you had the court of the Gentiles, which is where if you were not a Jew, but you were interested in worshiping uh, the God uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you could come to the temple and you could come and worship there in the court of the Gentiles, but you couldn't go in any further. And then, of course, you have the, uh, the outside wall of the temple, which actually served, I believe, on the eastern side as, the, as one of the walls of the city. All right, so why do I tell you that? To let you know that I read a book, right? I tell you that for this reason. Notice who Jesus heals. Notice the order. First, he, he, he heals a man who has leprosy. And if you had leprosy, you were not allowed in the city walls. You lived outside the city. And then who does he heal? He heals a centurion, a Gentile. And then he heals a Jewish woman. You see the point. It's as if Jesus, as he displays his authority to do good things, as he, as he displays his authority to heal people, it's like he's breaking down the walls that keep people from God. In other words, it's like he's saying, it's like he's reaching as far out as he can and saying, who gets to come in? You get to come in, and you get to come in, and you get to come in. 
In other words, Jesus is showing, look, I have come to, to use my authority to heal people. And who? The outsider. I'm here to heal those people. The ones that are on the outside. They're the ones that get to come in close. So why does Jesus love and heal the outsider? Why would it be those people? And the simple answer is because those people are the ones that see that they desperately need his healing. And that when Jesus does heal them, they love him for it. Because they know they didn't deserve it. Right? Think about the woman sitting in the waiting room. She loves Dr. Gadry. Loves him. Why? Because nobody else could fix her. And he did. He essentially saved her in a lot of ways. She was hopeless. And he made her better. So I guess as application, I would ask you, do you see yourself as an outsider? Do you see yourself as an outsider? Particularly spiritually speaking, because if so, that's good. Because that's who Jesus' healing is for. So if you see yourself as an outsider, you know Jesus is for you. So how do you know if you're an outsider? What does that look like? Well, it looks like the centurion, right? It's a great scene. Jesus says, I'll come and I'll come and heal. Right. So the centurion comes up to him and says, I have a servant at home. Will you come heal him? And Jesus says, sure, I'll come to your house. And this guy looks and says, I'm not worthy to have you come in my house. I don't deserve that. And that, that's it. That's what it looks like. Are you an outsider? If you know you don't deserve it, then Jesus is showing up and saying he is for you. And so that might look like you're here this morning and you're not really a churchy kind of person. And, and this is your first time maybe in church. And you're thinking, I'm, I'm not like these folks. These folks are pretty well put together. And what I want you to see is that the Bible says, no, Jesus is for you. Or maybe you, you're here and you're a member and, and you think of yourself, you, you think, I'm, I'm an outsider on the inside. I keep it together, generally speaking, but if anybody knew what I did, if anybody knew the thoughts that I have, Jesus is for you. He heals people like that, people that are on the outside. And we could take some time to talk about a, a second application. If, if, if you have grabbed hold of that, if you recognize that I, I am on the outs with God, I don't deserve his love, but I'm going to cling to it because he's promised it to me then certainly that should change the way that we, that we deal with the outsider. In what, outsider in whatever way, right? Certainly we should have the same kind of compassion on the ones that we look at and, and tend to think of as those people, whoever that might be, somebody of a different race, somebody of a different uh, social standing. Fill in the blank for yourself, whoever it might be the disabled, the poor, the sick? Who do you reach out to that's not just like you? That's a good question to ask yourself sometimes. 
So we see who Jesus heals, that Jesus heals the outsider. So finally, I want to take a look at how Jesus heals. How does he heal these folks? He has the power to do it. It's for the outsider. And I think it's obvious that what we see from these three episodes is that how Jesus heals, he heals with tender compassion. He heals with compassion and tenderness and nearness. And he really does so, at least the way Matthew brings it out, it seems to increase that Jesus' love and compassion for these people tends to, seems like it increases the more outside they are, right? The, the, Gentile, or the, uh, the Jewish woman, Peter's mother-in-law, I mean, he's certainly kind to her. He touches her, heals her of the fever. But then the, uh, the centurions, or the next ring out, right? The Gentile. He says, my servant's at home sick, and Jesus says, I'll come there. Now, that sounds like a normal thing to say, but it wasn't. Because for a Jew to go into the home of a Gentile meant that that would render him, the Jew, ceremonially unclean. The Jews uh, considered themselves so above and the Gentiles so beneath them that to, that to go into the house of a Gentile meant that you were not clean to go into the temple. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I'll come up in the middle of your living room. I'll come right in the middle of where you are. And the ultimate expression, of course, is the leper, right? The ultimate expression of Jesus' compassion and his nearness is that uh, is to the leper. Like we said, the leper's not even allowed inside the city. You know, he has some sort of skin disease that's contagious. Uh, we want to keep them away from everybody. If they approached people, they had to yell out unclean so that people would know, like, all right, we don't, don't want to be anywhere near this guy. So that he probably lived by himself, maybe with a few other people that had leprosy, as wonderful as that would be, right? And nobody came near him because they were afraid to get sick. And what does Jesus do? Jesus does the unthinkable. He touches this guy. Look, if it were me, I'd like to think that I would have the compassion to heal this guy if I had the authority. But I can, I can almost guarantee you how I would do it. If a guy with leprosy, or, you know, maybe in our context, I don't somewhat comparison, right? If a person with Ebola starts walking towards you, I don't know about you, but I'm going to say, okay, whoa, 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 easy there, tiger. You stay there. I'm going to stay here and, you know, zap. <laughs> and you're welcome. That, in all seriousness, right? He'd be pretty excited about that. Wouldn't he? He got healed. I don't think he'd be too upset. But how much different is it that as he approaches Jesus, Jesus approaches him, and he, it's not that the leper reached out and Jesus said, okay, all right, I'm just going to let him touch me. He reaches out and touches this guy. This guy probably hasn't had a meaningful conversation with somebody in weeks. He sure hasn't touched anybody in a long time. 
and Jesus touches him. What an amazing thing. And what you see, what you see is that Jesus is not treating this guy like a disease. He's treating him like a person. Jesus is not treating this guy like a subject in his kingdom. He's treating him like a person. A quick application about how Jesus saves people in this way that I want you to see that it's personal. It's compassionate. If you're like me, you know, sort of the, we're the Presbyterian types. We, We like to use our, our brains and sort of stay there. And if you're like me, I tend to think about the way that Jesus has saved me is this sort of just contract, right? It's this sort of cold um, transaction that's happened. I've done the part about confession and repentance, and, and so he does the God part, like, okay, stamps it off, forgiven. But that's not the picture at all that we get from, well, certainly that is the picture that we get from the Bible, right? That God declares us to be righteous. But it's, it's, an, it's with this nearness. Jesus meets us. He draws nears to us. He touches us. It's compassionate. I listened to uh, This American Life, a podcast. If you're not familiar with it, it's excellent. Uh, li- several years ago, I listened to a story, and it was they profiled a, uh, a married couple. They had just been married. They were Russian. Just been married a few months at the time of the uh, nuclear uh, plant meltdown in Chernobyl, 1986. So there was an explosion, right? Lots of radioactive material everywhere. And the husband worked either at or very near the nuclear plant. And he was just as radioactive as it gets. And so he's in the hospital. He's in a glass room. The nurses and doctors have to interact with him through the glass somehow. They, they can't, you can't go in there. Because if you go in there, you're going to get sick. He has, yeah, he has sickness, disease, just like radiate, literally radiating off of him. And as his wife shows up, and they beg her, don't go in there. Don't go in there. Because if you go in there, you're going to die. And she goes in there. And they beg her, don't touch him. Don't touch him. And just like they used to do, every night as they got in bed, she would hold his hand while they fell asleep. And they asked her, why would you do that? Because that's, that's a death sentence for her. Why would you do that? And she said, very simply, because he's my husband, and I love him. Almost as if, could, could there be any other course of action? And that's just a little taste of the way Jesus loves us. Right, that Jesus, Jesus touches us. Even though we're radioactive in our sin, 
even though death and sickness and sin and evil is just radiating off of us, not only does Jesus touch us, but what does he do? Ultimately on the cross, he takes our radioactivity and he just wears it so that we can be healed. And what I want you to see is that Jesus is not afraid of your yuck. No matter how bad it is, no matter how much you think sitting here, yeah, 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 whatever, if you knew, you wouldn't be saying that about me. No matter how bad it is, Jesus is not afraid of the junk in your heart. In fact, he's so not afraid of it that he moves towards it and he puts it on himself on the cross. He does it so that we can be healed. He takes, he takes our disease on himself. And let me end with this thought. That Matthew tells us something very interesting at the end of his gospel. Right When Jesus is on the cross, bearing our radioactivity, our sin, for us, so that we can be healed. When he dies, Matthew says something very interesting. He says that at that very moment, the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies in the very middle of the temple, right, where God's presence dwells, the very moment that Jesus dies, that curtain rips in half. What's the point? It's as if Jesus, God is saying, right, you get to come in, and 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 now you get to come all the way in. Not just into the court that's close. You get to come in to the very presence of God and be with him. And to be with him is to be healed, ultimately and finally. And that's the good news. That's the good news that Jesus is the hero that brings healing. And he's offered to you this morning. Won't you take it? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, these are things that we, if we're honest, in some ways we scarcely believe. Thank you for the truth that you would come and that you would bear our sin, our radioactivity, and not just touch us, but you would you would take it all so that we might be alive. And Jesus, we pray that that truth would reign in every heart in this room. And if it's not, Lord, would you please make it so? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.